Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD, Detective Sergeant Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me tonight, I have retired NYPD detective from straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. And our guest tonight is uh, from the Bath Avenue crew, uh, Jimmy Calandra. We're going to get into a lot of different stories tonight. First, I want to welcome Phil Grimaldi. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Billy. I'm very excited to uh, get into this uh, episode that we're doing with Jimmy. Jimmy's a uh, former member of uh, organized crime, the life, so to speak. And uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation. And he's going to give us a perspective from the other side of the fence, so to speak. We're on the law enforcement side. He was on the other side uh, and should be interesting. You know, these uh, conversations are pretty damn interesting. Uh, on the 15th of September, we interviewed uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano. And, you know, from a law enforcement pers perspective, we took some heat from some of our uh, comrades. Oh, why are you interviewing this guy? He's a criminal. He's a killer. He's this, he's that. But uh, I don't think anyone that does a podcast would turn down an interview with Sammy the Bull. And I certainly didn't. And I thought we gave our perspective and he gave his perspective and it and we res we were respectable to both sides were respectable to each other. Absolutely, Bill. And listen, uh, as you've s stated before, when we uh, were in our uh, active status on uh, the NYPD, you know, law enforcement offices, we were dealing with criminals and we were dealing with murderers just about on a daily basis. And, you know, uh, these people both have uh, tremendous podcasts. They're out there telling their stories. And we thought it would be proper to have them come on our show and discuss. Uh, basically, we'll have a conversation about what they've gone through in their lives and uh, what they're doing now with their lives. And, uh, you know, uh, apparently uh, there might be some positive uh, comments that come out of this. Absolutely. You know, without further ado, I know Jimmy's uh, sitting uh, in, 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 his, in his home right now and uh, got a little screwed up in the beginning. We had a little technical difficulties, but he's here, so I'm going to bring him into the show. He's waiting patiently. Jimmy, welcome to hey. the show. So great to see you. How are you? Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. And uh, it's nice to see you guys. I'll tell you something, Jimmy. I listen to a lot of your um, podcasts. And uh, just like Sammy, you're one hell of a good storyteller. You know, I mean, I think about just being in a bar and having a couple of beers and listen to some of these stories. And I think they're, they're fascinating, you know. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, this is the life I lived. I wouldn't wish it on any young kid. Uh, you know, Sammy has a hell of a story. He has the best podcast out there. I wish I could be half of what he is as far as a podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm just here to tell my story, you know, and tell the truth of, you know, this life that I lived, the friends that I lost, and a lot of regrets that I have. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Jim. We were uh, we were talking earlier today about, you know, what kind of subject matter we were going to get into. And uh, Sammy, right at the end of the, the episode we did with him, I asked him, I said, Sam, if you had to give advice to some young guys in the neighborhood growing up today that might have looked up to guys like you, uh, what advice would you give them? And his, I don't know if you saw it, Jim, but his his response was pretty graphic. And uh, so basically, since we're on that subject, what advice would you have today? Uh, you know, a, a guy, how old were you when you got into the life? Uh, let's start oh, there. You know what? I was a young kid, very young. My mom and dad separated at the age of six, seven years old. 
My father wasn't in the home. So what I did was I looked up to the wise guys on the street corner and in the social clubs. But I was very young. I would say not even in my teens. You know, I was in and out of social clubs. And these guys, I was looking for their favor. And little Georgia Adamo, his godfather was Anthony Sparrow. His other godfather was Eddie Lino. And this is how I got into this life, just hanging out in social clubs and rubbing elbows with these wise guys and them putting their arm around you and, you know, them liking you and you liking them. And the thing is, as you're growing up, a lot of these guys are good guys, you know, and some of them are creeps. You know, some of them could steer you in the wrong direction and some of them can stay in the right direction. And what they do is a lot of them use you until you're not, you know, until you're all done. So you're not useful anymore. That's it. And then they get rid of you. You know, and that's exactly what happened to my friend Paul Eagolino. So, Jimmy, you were more or less uh, than raised on by and on the streets. And the, your role models weren't teachers. They weren't construction workers. They weren't uh, cab drivers. They were wise guys. Yes, absolutely. I come from a good family. I have no mafia guys in my family. But... I didn't have a father in the home. So my father figure was the wise guys in the social clubs and on the corner. These are the men I looked up to. Jimmy, I got to ask you specifically, because I grew up in that neighborhood too. I grew up on Avenue U, uh, right by the Mother Cabrini Club. I was around a lot of wise guys growing up. I, My mother and father were divorced when I was like 11 as well, but I had an older brother. I had cousins in the neighborhood. I had an uncle that owned a junkyard in Coney Island. So I had people around me that kind of either pulled me away from things or pointed me in the right direction. And I always hung out with guys that were a little older than me. So my point is this. Now, when I was growing up, uh, during the 70s, Eddie Lino, Bobby Lino, uh, uh, Frankie Lino, all of those guys from Avenue U uh, would be on the Avenue driving new cars, uh, wearing fancy clothes. What about the life? Now, I know that you said you were around all these guys, but what about it? Was was those things that I just mentioned, did, did that like entice you to, to you know, go in that direction? Well, it's it was basically, you know, look, for example, you have these guys, you want to become like them. They have stacks of money in their pocket. They look sharp all the time. They have jewelry on and they have power and they give orders to other guys. And through your eyes, you see this and you say, wow, you know what? I want to be like this when I get older. And then if you're in the street, you're starting to get to know the game. You're starting to get to know who they are, the position they hold and the family that they're in. So my neighborhood was a recruitment center for young kids. I know you're from Gravesend. I'm from Bensonhurst. But Gravesend, Bensonhurst, it ain't too far away. And I also know Avenue U, Avenue X, you know, Avenue S. And, you know, right now, that neighborhood today is all mobbed up. You know, I mean, the thing is now is, is that they put it more underground than how it was when I was a kid. You know, it's back underground. You know, and the thing is, when I was growing up, the wise guys were wise guys, not compared to the guys today. Today, you go do a five-year bid, you come home, and they're going to straighten you out because you know what? You stood up for five years. So it's a different ball game from years ago. Years ago, the mafia was very powerful. They had a long arm. They had the garment district. They had the Jimmy, Jimmy, can I just stop you for one second? For our fans who aren't educated in the expressions of the mob, 
getting straightened out means to get made. I just wanted to give that definition out there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I use these terms and some, some people don't understand them, but thanks for... Uh... <laughs> I want to expand on it a little bit. That really yeah. means is that when you're hanging around with mob guys or you're trying to become part of their crew or their clique, that's induction into the mob. There's an actual ceremony where they actually induct you into the mob and then you have to answer to whoever it is that you're under. You want to explain that a little better, maybe, Jimmy? Well, you know what? Look, when you're a young boy and you're looking up to these guys, the plan is to someday becoming a member, becoming a part of the family, whether it's the Bonanno family, one of the five crime families. and this is your goal to become a member because once you become a member of that family, now you have a license to do anything you like and you have your own crew. So, you know, your crew will, you know, come, you let them out and they go do what they have to do as far as uh, earning money. It's all about making money. That's what it's all about. Okay. You know, Jimmy, one of the things, though, uh, the Bath Avenue crew, no one was a made guy. You guys were all associates, right? So being associates, wouldn't sometimes the made guys use you for the more dangerous jobs and use you for things that maybe they didn't want to do? Well, you know what? A wise guy once told me, hey, Tom. What's hey, up? this Tommy Day, retired first great detective and organized crime expert. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Welcome, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, a wise guy once told me as I was coming up, and his name was Georgie Conti, okay? And he said, don't do like I did, you know, in this life. He said, don't volunteer so much as far as helping people because what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself into a lot of trouble, you know? So meaning, you know, don't volunteer to kill this guy or that guy. Just mind your business and do your own thing. You know why? You'll be more underneath the radar that way. That's true on the police department too. If you if you if you're too good or too bad, you know, you, like you said, fly under the radar. Don't be too good or be too bad. If you're a do nothing on the police department, the bosses go after you, and if you're a superstar, the prosecutors go after you, and, and the fun. job goes after you for for making too much overtime. Yeah, right? yeah. What do you say about that, Tommy? About what? About <laughs> he's on oh. tape delay today. You gotta be here. You gotta get out of being sleeping on this show. <laughs> what I was saying was is if you're a superstar, you somebody's breaking your balls, whether it be the job, prosecutors, whatever. And if you're a do-nothing on the police force we're talking about, the bosses are breaking your balls. What do you think, Tom? A hundred percent. I mean, uh if you're somebody that uh is skating you know most people pick up on it pretty quick and if you're somebody that's working you know there's bosses that don't like that either you know I mean, jealousy factor comes in right tom yeah 100 it's not too much different than the things jimmy's talking about you know if you if you're doing too good at what you spoke you know of what you're doing growing up in the street there may be guys that are jealous of you because other people are taking notice you know, Tommy, people are jealous of me now because of this podcast. 100%. I see, yeah, I, I see his subs are going up. We're almost, we, if we don't hit 20,000 after the show, I'm coming looking for you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Go ahead, Jim. I was, go ahead. I, I was ahead of you guys. Now you guys are ahead of me. You, you were. That's what I said to uh, yeah. Phil. I said, holy shit, he was killing us. Now we. 
You know, it's that case, that Gabby Petito case. Some case. That, yeah. It, it just, that case has just catapulted us to unbelievable numbers, you know. But I tell you, you guys are doing a hell of a job, and your podcast is awesome. Thank, Thank you, you very much. That's a nice compliment coming from you that's doing the same thing. And, uh, you know, going to that uh, Petito case for a second, I mean, it's just horrible. It caught the attention of the whole world. It's an international story. We got on it pretty early and we gave our opinions on a lot of things. Sometimes people didn't like what we were saying. Very few. Most people were in agreement with us. But uh, it was really just condolences to that family today to having a memorial service and uh uh, you know, hopefully that that scumbag turns himself in or or is captured. Ryan Brown, thanks for the four ninety nine super chat. This is directed to Jimmy. Jimmy, thank you for the kind words after my mom passed away. Reading that comment made my day, made me smile. I guess you know Ryan Brown, Jimmy. I I know the feeling, Ryan. Unfortunately, I know the feeling. Just hang in there and stay strong. Good advice, Jimmy. You know something? It's you know the humanity of you know we see cops. And of course, we did the show with uh, with Sammy, and you know some people didn't like that we did that on the law enforcement side, and uh, you know something that's their business. And I always say, you know, change the channel. You got that remote control. Really, tell in your them hand. the story about what he put on uh, what was it Instagram? Yeah, <laughs> tell them uh, that Sammy the Bull responded to him on Instagram because I put it on it. Uh, the hunt for Brian uh, Laundry begins. He's a want now wanted man, and Sammy the Bull writes. You should get the mafia involved. We'll catch that dog. <laughs> that's that's on the Gabby Petito case. So yeah. uh, that's where he's coming from. That's his mindset. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sammy's an old school guy. And back in his day, uh, he, he's right. You know what? Things like that would have been taken care of, you know, in your own community. You know, so, uh, you know, listen, it's a double-edged sword. You know, like I said, in the mob, you have good guys and you have creeps. But, uh, you know. The gangsters today, you know, the government's the gangsters. Oh, you just said a mouthful. You just said 100%. a mouthful. T Tommy, with regard to uh, what, what Jimmy was just referencing. Now, in the past, we know for a fact that in the Mississippi burning case, that movie, that famous movie, that the organized crime was enlisted. What do you got to say about that, Tommy? You, you think, uh, has that happened in the past? Can you put any uh, words to that? far as Mississippi burning went, the truth to that story? Yeah, sure. Talk about it, Tom. Yeah, 100%. That was uh, Greg Scarpa. You know, that, uh, you know, Greg was, yeah, I mean, watching the movie, they don't, they change and tweak everything. But uh, Greg was brought down there uh, by the FBI. And uh, I think one of the guys that uh, knew where the bodies were buried owned a TV shop and he went there at night uh, and he beat the information out of him and uh, he found out where those bodies were buried and they dug those bodies up. They also found out who killed them. And I mean, that's not, it's not really a secret anymore. I mean, I know back in the day they really didn't expose that, but that's come out. It's come out in court, I believe, you know, um, but Tommy, that was that was the FBI that enlisted the mob to do work that they couldn't they, get done. But they've been, you know, the government has enlisted the mob in a lot of different things. They've enlisted the mob uh, when Lucky Luciano was in jail, um, when my Lansky brokering a deal 
the Lucky Luciano as far as World War II went, which was they did some, gave some amazing amazing intelligence, and that's how that was a big intelligence gathering. Luciano got pardoned and he got deported. This one of the conditions that he get deported to Sicily, but he gave some amazing information related to uh, people he had, you know, on the docks uh, where they came up with Nazis working at the docks. The layout of Sicily for the ships, you know, going in, the warships going in. Um, there was also uh, the government involved with the uh, uh, Castro situation, you know. What about uh, Gus Faraci? Did did uh, I know that the, the the guys on the street were kind of tearing up the street, you know, putting the word out that he, you know, that he was a dead man if they could get him? No. Well, what? I don't think anybody really cared. What happened to him, you know, what he did was a terrible thing. Uh, and they they were hitting, they, you know, the government, you know, DEA especially, you know, was all over the street, hitting everybody really hard in the pocket. And, you, you know, organized crime knew that he made a fatal mistake. And uh, they got one of his best friends to uh, to take him out. And I don't, you know I don't really think anybody, you know, cared that much about him uh him expiring you know for sure you know jimmy we well, i want to focus this back on you since you are the guest of honor tonight and uh the, the subject of this interview what if if people were um say say wise guys were looking for someone to do something what would they look for jimmy calandra what was his forte what was what did he do as his criminal uh talents what was his biggest talent well, I'm going to tell you the truth. You know what? I ran with a badass crew, the Bad Avenue crew. Now, it doesn't mean I, was, I wasn't I was a good kid. You know? I mean, doing the bad thing, you're a good guy. Doing the right thing, I mean, you know, people look at you and say, you know what? You, you, you're too good. You got to, you know, you got to do a little bad. But listen, if someone needed, for example, their legs broke, or even if I had to be <laughs> Who needs that? I don't think anyone needs that. <laughs> even if I had to be involved in a murder at that time, when I was growing up, looking up to these people, my thing was I used to love to steal. I used to love to rob banks. I used to love to do burglaries, rob cars. But as you get older, you know what? You move, you move up the ladder, okay? And now you're involved in murder. So, you know, they want to make sure that you're capable. And everyone is capable of killing somebody. You don't necessarily have to pull the trigger. Okay, all you have to do is be there. You know, whether you're luring someone in, you're at the scene, and you know what? You're keeping your mouth shut. That's all they want. I think you're making a good point, Jimmy, because a lot of times in the cases, and, and Tommy can definitely talk about that, you could just know about it, be present, uh, drive the guy, pick the guy up, whatever it is, get him to the location to be killed. You're part of, you're part of the murder. So uh, your culpability, so to speak, is just as much as the guy that pulls the trigger. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the worst things, obviously, about being in this life is that most people in the life go to prison for a stint here and there, some for long stints, and prison's got to suck. You want to talk about that a bit? Well, look, when I went away, I was 23 years old. I caught a bank robbery. I also had a, a four to eight pending. I beat up a guy with an axe handle. Some girl called me. Some guy was banging on her door. 
and I got out with an axe handle. I had a 380 on me. And as I'm beating the guy up with an axe handle, there's a lady across the street looking out the window watching me beat this guy down. She ends up calling the cops. I hop in my car. This happened in Marine Park. And I had a 380 on me. Two blocks away, the cops pull me over. They find the 380 and they find the axe handle all bloodied up. I end up getting a four to eight with that. That ran concurrent with my uh, federal bank robbery. So what I'm saying is that, look. There's what did the guy do, Jimmy, that, that you, you called over there? What was that about? Real quick. What he was doing was he was knocking on this girl's door. He was harassing her. So she called me up. She said, Jimmy, could you do me a favor? Could you help me? This guy's banging on my door. He won't leave me alone. I tried talking to the guy nice. He came out of his mouth. He was, uh, I didn't like what he said. And I beat him down with an accident. I fractured his skull. And I caught a four to eight with that. But, but the thing is, you know what? Looking back, it was a stupid move. You know, I could have avoided that. But you know what? Listen, my destiny is my destiny. You know, obviously I cooperated and that life is over for me. You know, now what I do is I'm on this podcast. I tell my stories. So, you know, that was actually a blessing for me to come forward and put this all behind me. You know, but listen, things do bother me because every time I tell you a story, I'm reliving it. You know, Jimmy, when you, but you, you know, We've interviewed a lot of different people from law enforcement, from the, the crime world. And you spoke about that so cavalierly. In essence, you know, some guy needed his legs broken, you know. And it's, it's I mean, when, when you say it like that, there's some almost humor in it. But yet it's not funny. It's not funny, but it's the truth. You know, right. because you're looking to do anything you can to get these guys favor. You want them to like you. You want them to accept you and put you underneath their wing. And someday you want to become one of them. You want to be in their family. You want to become a wise guy and have a license to do anything you want. And that is what the streets are about. Plus, you need street creds. Something like that gives you street creds, no, Jim? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jimmy, yeah. someone was asking, do I have a photo of the young Jimmy Calendra? Is that you in the back? Um, that's, me, that's me with my arm around Paulie G. Okay, that's the best picture I have of a young Jimmy Calandra. Someone wanted a picture of you uh, from the back in the day. There he is. Jimmy, since you brought up Paulie G, I know that that was a close friend of yours. You, you want to talk about him? Well, Paulie G was a really good, I say a good kid. Look, in my neighborhood, there's a lot of good kids that do a lot of bad things. But we have the wrong direction because we're looking up to people that we want to become just like them. You know, you got the five families in the, in the neighborhood. And our main goal is to become a part of one of those families. And that's the truth. Okay, you want to become a part of one of those families. Now, it might sound stupid the way I'm saying it, but, you know, this is what Bensonhurst, Gravesend, if you don't have direction, if you're not taking a trade, if you're not going to school, uh, you're on the street, these are the men you're looking up to, especially if you have an Italian last name. So this is what you want to become. You want to become a wise guy, and someday you have your own crew, and you could basically do anything you want. You know? But that's, you know, that's how it is. Easy to get a reservation in a restaurant when you're <laughs> uh, a made guy, right? Look, hey, there's some nice... Uh, Herps to it, 
But uh, at the end of the day, it's either a prison sentence, death, or you're telling all your secrets to the government. That's just the way it is. You know, Jimmy, I heard this guy almost got straightened out. Yeah. You know what he did? He actually straightened a few people out. <laughs> you, are you one of them, Jim? I was going to ask yeah. you that. I am. I am one of them. <laughs> he does his own straightening out, Tom. Yeah, it's a different uh, terminology on the other side of the fence, right? T Tommy had a lot of experience and interaction with a lot of members of organized crime, and uh, he uh, he did a lot of work, so to speak. Not the kind of work that uh, the wise guys do. He did <laughs> he did he did plenty of work with the organized crime, and uh, we thank him for that. Uh, that's uh, that's how we got uh, to be the uh, the guy that we call the. Uh, Organized crime expert. Expert. I should I should have studied brain surgery as much. <laughs> well, you did a lot of good things, Tommy. And and like Jimmy said, you know, you might you might have straightened some people out. You might have turned lives around, and I'm sure you did. Absolutely. So, Jimmy, let me ask you something. We saw there was a, a big uh, arrest of some uh, mob guys in last week, like twelve or fourteen of them. I don't even know if they have a good case against them. But what do you think of the current day uh, mafia? The current day mafia is basically, it's more like a gang. You know, everyone wants to beat the next guy as far as, you know, everyone wants to be better than the next person. I could say, for example, uh, who took a pinch in this case? Uh, Teddy Persico, for example. He just came home maybe a year ago. This guy is on the life payment plan. He'll be in and out of jail for the rest of his life. He'll go in for 10 years. He'll come out for a year or two. Then he'll go back in for another five, 10 years, and he'll come back out. I mean, that's the way he's going to spend his life. And, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. And then you the CO's the CO's kids are working the same cell block. She <laughs> would think that somebody like him would realize, like, you know, after all these years, the, you know, I'm just – a, you got to find another a way to support yourself. He just wasn't not a good criminal. He's out. He's he, and then he goes back in for fifteen years, eight years, ten years, nineteen years. Like he's the guy spent his whole life in prison. It's like co coming out is like just a, a furlough, and it's time to go back. Tommy Dades, the great Joe Murray, the defense attorney. Now, any of you mob guys out there listening to this, Joe Murray's a good attorney. He'll, he'll take on mob cases, too. We'll, we'll read his phone number and stuff uh, later. later. We'll give all his information later. He says, Tommy Dades, how did you avoid the temptation to go to the dark side? Everybody loves you. You're an honorable guy, good with your hands. Oh, but you, but you, never got, you never got straightened out, though. <laughs> he did the straightening out, Tommy. That's right. Tell Joe Murray, thank you so much. But, but answer the question. How did you avoid going to the dark side? Sorry, I tell everybody. Uh... When I was, uh, I mean, when we, when we grew up, where I grew up, it was a very diversified crowd, you know? Um, and we weren't thrilled with wise guys, you know? Um, we all grew up from broken families. Most of us were poor, you know, really didn't have much money. So we kind of resented when we'd see a 16-year-old kid drive by in a brand new Lincoln Continental, you know? Um, but... 
when I, I started working for the Daily News. When I was That's working. sort of how Sammy started out too. He when he was in the Rampers, he said that yeah, we didn't look we didn't look up to the wise guys. We kind of didn't like them. But then his life went his life went in that direction. Well, in our in our neighborhood, you know, you could have. You know, a lot of guys, there was some that did go the other way. There was some that were related to a lot of guys from, that Jimmy knows, I won't mention his name, but, um, you know, some guys from Bath Avenue that had a big reputation. I grew up with some of the cousins. Um, so we would go up there once in a while, like the Bedrock Bar. Or, I mean, we were in Tally's Bar all the time, you know. We saw it all. But there was a friend of mine who, uh, who passed away. Uh, his name was Marty Rico. And if anybody knows that name, if you mention it to it, I think everybody was afraid of him. And uh, What was the name, Tom? Marty Rico. Marty Rico. Marty Rico. And we were working down the Daily News together. He came from Nicobaca Village. He knew everybody. And he grabbed me one day and he said, this ain't for you. He said, find a way out of here. And uh, I went and got my equivalency diploma, my good enough diploma. And I took all the civil service exams. I have one too. <laughs> and, uh, sanitation would have called me. I'd have been a retired sanitation worker, but Ricky basically saved me. He really did. And he passed away back in 1998. The craziest guy you ever met in your life. But uh, they, I loved him to death, and he cared a lot about me, and, and he was very proud of what I did. You know, so that's 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 a great story, Tommy. You know. Uh, Jimmy, you have some you have some fans even among our uh, subscribers. Retired Sergeant Melinda says, "I follow Jimmy's YouTube and continue to tell your story. It's helping young people, positive way, and ignore the trolls." Thank you, Sergeant Melinda. There's a lot of trolls out there. One hundred percent, folks. This is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you like this show, please hit go on YouTube, subscribe to us, hit the uh, bell, give us a thumbs up. Well, after this show, I guarantee we should be at 20,000 subscribers. We're trying to get uh, as many subscribers as we can so we can buy some. Uh, what are we trying to buy, Philly? Better, we're trying to buy. We're trying, trying to, to pay, trying to pay the bills. That's trying to all. pay the bills. Yeah. But I'll so take you, a veal cutler parmesan here. That's right. <laughs> I, that's how I discovered Philly and Bensonhurst. I was driving down the street looking for a co-host, and I see him. He's on the corner eating a veal parmesan hero. I go, hey, yo. Were you a retired detective? He goes, yeah, what about it? I go, you want to audition for police off the cuff? He goes, and yeah, I had the special on the other hand. That's right. He was That's sitting, how it happened. He, he, he was sitting in Joe's. Yeah, <laughs> Joe's a bit of an EO. Hey, Tom, listen, uh, that, that question from, Je, uh, from Joe Murray, I thought that was a good question about temptation stuff. I remember when you were executing the Operation Little Caesar case, I think it was, or one of the big cases, it was a big takedown, and we had one of the guys, and we went to his house, and when we, you know, we boomed the door at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, a package went flying out the second floor window in the backyard, and one of the guys we worked with, John Pellegretti, was there, and he spoke perfect Italian, John, and when he picked it up, a woman stuck her head out the window and she told him in Italian, take it. It's yours. It's yours. It was $80,000 in cash. And he looked up at her and he said, Senora, I wish I could. Like, you know. But uh, so the temptation is definitely there. Obviously, you held your integrity throughout your whole career as well, I once, did. In once you came on the job, I mean, you know, uh, really, what, what, unless, in, unless it's $10 million and you can fly to Costa, Costa Rica. You know what? What? Uh, why would you ever look to do from back? First of all, why be a hypocrite? 
Two, why would you ever embarrass yourself and your family? What, what I mean, a hundred thousand is worth it. Two hundred thousand, it's not worth. It, you know what I mean? So, of course not. It's, it's, it's something you never even thought of. You know, it's some not something that you think of. And I'd be a hypocrite, Jimmy. You know, how could he? How could I look at Jimmy in the face and say, you know, Jim, do the right thing? You know, when I'm doing bad things on the side. So it's it's. Uh, you know, going that route, even like with the mob cops and the stuff that they did, you know, and you really think about it, a lot of people didn't believe that ever happened. And I didn't believe it happened either until it landed in our lap. But it was hideous what they did. And it disgraced every good cop that was out there, every good, honest detective that was working. And it taunt, they, they tarnish our name, you know. So, uh, you, know Tom, you know, Tommy, it's just like the way I feel about that uh, cop, Michael Dowd, who's the dirtiest one of the dirtiest cops till till the mafia cops they knocked them off the pedestal but Dowd's a piece of shit and i when i watch that documentary to seven five and see Dowd pretending to cry because the cop got shot and i put him in my car i drove him i go dude you can't do that you can't cry anymore because you're a thug you're a criminal don't now try to be a cop you know what i mean that scene made me sick people kept saying oh put Dowd on your show i said i wouldn't Piss that, on that guy. Nah, he, listen. I, mean, I, have, I have, I could, you know, have Jimmy over for dinner and, you know, one of my dearest friends. I can have Sammy come over for dinner. Where does Jimmy get the Italian bread from? Does he get it from uh, the Bronx or he gets it from Brooklyn? From Brooklyn. But I wouldn't. Tommy <laughs> would never eat Bronx Italian bread. Uh, oh, they got you some know, good. Arthur Avenue, hey, Arthur Avenue Italian bread uh, is pretty good. Yeah, and if you leave it for 48 hours, you can use it for a club. Nicky Travis used to take me up there because he grew up up there. And we would take a ride up there once in a while. And I wasn't up there that long ago, a couple of years ago. Food's good. And, but, but it's yeah. Much, I'm just kidding. There's not much room left to it. There's only like three blocks left in a whole. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, Absolutely. when you think back on your life, and obviously now you, you, you've straightened out your life, you never got straightened out, but now you straightened out your life and you're on the up and up. Do you believe that was not so long ago? I tell you, it seems like it was yesterday. You know, and uh, I look back, I have a lot of regrets in my life. You know, unfortunately, I lost a lot of friends. My friend John Polio was murdered. My friend Georgie Adamo was murdered. Chestnut was murdered. Paulie Galino was murdered. Michael Marola was murdered. Those are guys that were just murdered. Those aren't guys that overdosed in the neighborhood. Now, the neighborhoods, if you're still in the neighborhood, you're probably still doing the same thing. You're going to a bar. You're probably selling a couple packages to put money in your pocket. I mean, that's just the way the neighborhood is. It never changes, you know, unless you get out of the neighborhood. You have to get out of the neighborhood to change your life. If you don't get out of the neighborhood, you're going to do the same old thing since you've been doing it since you were a kid. Nothing changes. For sure. I just want to make a quick announcement. Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories has just hit 20,001 subscribers. Nice. Yahoo. Now we can up our cabinet to a, another $22 a bottle maybe yeah, instead yeah. of that. Bill, do I get my veal cutlet sandwich now? <laughs> yeah, you what? get that now. I, I'll right, give you a you. shrimp parmesan hero. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> You, you, know, you know, Jimmy, you're talking about the way things are today in the neighborhood and stuff. And you said things kind of went kind of behind closed doors. And I could clearly see that when we were growing up, you know, there would be guys dealing drugs right on a street corner. You don't see that anymore. Then it went to beepers. Now it's cell phones. Everything's kind of inside. And I noticed that a lot of the uh, criminal activity 
like beating guys down in the street. You don't see that much anymore because all the video cameras, plate readers, all the different technology that's in place now. That really, I think, has made a lot of things go behind closed doors. But there's still a definite presence of organized crime or there wouldn't have been 14 guys arrested last week. Um, you know, uh, I don't know that they're as active as they were. What, what do you think about that as far as like, you know, whatever they were in back in the day, whether it be prostitution, gambling, drugs, loan sharking, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing protection for businesses and neighbors. What do you think the relationship between then and now is? Well, I still think that they're involved in anything they can make money with, whether if they could get a couple women and make them prostitute to make a profit off it. Absolutely. Cold girls make a lot of money. Uh, drugs, cocaine, it's a big business out there. Heroin, it's a big business out there. I mean, anything they can make a profit off it, they're going to go for it. So, uh, you know, it's like, it's like buying a skid of olive oil. You buy the skid of olive oil, say you pay $45 a case, you sell them for $60 a case. I mean... It's look anything to make a profit, whether it's a legitimate business or a illegitimate business. If there's a profit to be made, they're throwing their money in and they're gonna go for it. Mm. All right. It's all about money. That's what the mob's about: money, fear, and violence. Now, Jimmy, you were you were an associate, and the whole Bath Avenue crew were, for the most part, associates. But were you? Required to uh, adhere to the rules of La Cosa Nostra? Well, look, in my neighborhood, you could get killed very quick. So if you don't respect people, if you don't give them their respect, they'll give you a bad name. Your name goes roaming around from club to club. And you know what? Eventually, you find yourself dead in a lot or dead on the ground somewhere. So you got to respect people in my neighborhood. You know, I mean, look, look at Paulie Galino, for example. Okay. If he would have used his head and I love the kid. Okay. I wish an enemy would have killed him. I mean, he pushed Sparrow. He pushed Joe Benanti. He pushed somebody, whoever he pushed. You know what? They made his own friends kill him. They knocked on the door. He didn't know who he was opening that door to. And they left him where he was, you know? So this is the way of that life. You know, thank God I got out of that life. Living that life, when I was living it, I liked it. I looked up to the wrong people. But once I grew up, I became a man. I realized, you know what? This is a life I don't want anymore. You know, and thank God I have two children and I straightened my life out. Was that the turning point for you, Jim, when they killed Paulie? Was that your turning point where you well, decided to cooperate or was it multiple things? I would say it was a couple of things. Uh, I would say Paulie G was one of them. I would say there was uh, an innocent woman who was killed. That was another. That was another one. And uh, you know, I just finished doing six years in prison. Eleven months later, I got reindicted. Guys are rolling on me. So it was a couple of things that came together and said, you know what? Thank God I have a good family. Because if it wasn't for my family, in all honesty, I'd probably be doing a fifty-year bid on a plea deal. And my and family is a very good family. Uh, I do, and. Thank you, Tom. And my family said, Jimmy, enough of this life. You kept your mouth shut for six years. You didn't say a word to no nobody. You never told on anybody. Now people are telling on you, forget about this life. You know what? Do what you have to do. 
And I sat down with Jim Walden. Tommy Days was in the room. And Jim Walden said, Jimmy, just look at the big picture. At least you're not going to spend the rest of your life in prison. You know, that's the whole thing, I think, that was the downfall of uh, organized crime was that four-letter word called RICO. I mean, that just made more people cooperate because instead of... I type it up as fast as Walden did. <laughs> Jim Walden, good man, Jim Walden. I had to get a fire extinguisher to, put, to, like, to hit the keys on the, on, on the computer. That guy was, he was incredible, really. I mean, he's just a good, all-around good guy, Jim, you know? And he was, he was very fair to all the guys that had come in. You know, he, he wasn't, uh, he, was a ni- he was a nice guy. He was a I don't guy. know who, who OIC that is in the chat. Maybe this is Sammy. Sammy. Sammy it says, Sammy the Bull loves you, Jimmy. That's got to be him. <laughs> well, you know what? Listen, if he's watching, he knows I love him too. He knows that. What am I, Wood Sammy? But Sammy, if you're watching, we could use like ten or twenty thousand of your four hundred thousand (laughs) subscribers. Give ten to Jimmy and ten to us, and we'll call it even. (laughs) I tell you, when we had him on, you could tell. You know, we I talked to him on the phone a couple of times, Bill and I, and then uh, Tommy and I, and he's got a personality just like you, Jimmy, you, you're a great storyteller. And I think that that's part of the whole thing with the, with the YouTube stuff. He, he's got a, he's got a certain way about him. And when you tell your stories, Jimmy, I grew up in a neighborhood and a lot of them make sense to me. I, I, whether or not they're true, I don't think comes into play. They just, I know how the streets were. Like I watch YouTube uh, for other guys and I talked to Tommy about it the other day. I'm not going to mention the guy's name. He come on and I knew he was full of shit. He was telling stories that weren't his. They were bullshit. And you could see he, he started asking the guy that was interviewing for details about what he was talking about, but your stories and Sammy's stories. Now I know that the way that the life was a little bit from growing up around it in the neighborhood and certain things like he would say, well, this is how we handle this. And I says, you know what? That makes sense. Because like, for instance, when he said that, he went to a guy's door, a made guy. When the guy made a pass at his wife or flirted with his wife, he had a gun in his hand behind his back. He rang the doorbell. The wife answered and asked for the guy. The guy wasn't there and he left. They called him to a sit down. Did you go there with a gun? He went to the sit down. He knew he could have been killed, but he says, no, I went there. Yeah, I had a gun. He admitted the whole thing. They didn't kill him. They saved him. And then the guy who was holding the sit down, the boss said, I would have done the same thing. So to me, that kind of makes sense. I know that that's not a bullshit story to me. And the same thing with you, Jimmy, when you're talking from the, from the, you know, the growing up in the neighborhood and being in that area, working as a cop, I was in the six O squad in Coney Island for a lot of years, rubbed elbows with some gangsters. Uh, the same thing in the six, eight, you know, we had interactions with them. So I know that a lot of things you're saying are true. And I think that's why your, your podcast is successful. And Tommy's podcast is successful. I mean, uh, Sammy's, excuse me. I saw Tommy on the screen. Uh, yeah, 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 because, you know, everyone keeps saying Tommy Dade should get his own podcast. Yeah. He'd, he'd kill it, you know? And I'm like, no, let him fucking just do what he's doing. <laughs> let him keep coming on our show. But all kidding aside, I always say this about Tommy. I say this anytime I talk about Tommy, I say he's a walking encyclopedia on organized crime from way before we were on the job until the time in the 2000s, let's say. Oh, and the I, reason I say that, what's that, Tom? No, go ahead, finish. The, the reason I say that is because I'll call him up. I talk to Tommy every day, and I'll just I'll say, Tom, you remember this time? And I bring up a name or I bring up an incident. 
And he goes, yeah, bah, 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 bah. he tells me the whole story. Then that story leads into uh, Joe the Butcher. And he goes into that story. And before you know it, he's three stories down the road. I'm on the phone for a half an hour. My wife's saying, come on, we got to eat dinner. But he's just like a fucking encyclopedia when it comes to this shit. He really is. Look at this, man. Brooklyn Sal, the crook. Thanks for the $20 super chat. Much love and respect to Tommy Dades. The Staritas. The Staritas. That's uh, very, very dear friends of mine from childhood, the whole family, uh, his uncle, his mother, his father, his wife. But, but I love them all, and God bless them. I love well, why didn't Tommy, if he's going to give me 20 bucks, why didn't you ask more of your friends to come out to this podcast? Those are guys from my old neighborhood. That's great. I, I know, Tommy, you're, you're well-loved. You're well-loved in all parts of Brooklyn. Whoever disagrees or says anything about Jimmy, about Sammy, um, I can go on, you know, but it's very admirable if you really look at it. What did I didn't, you know, I mean, whatever Jimmy was doing in the street, yeah, I was doing my job. But the fact that, you know, they embraced the, a friendship, a real friendship. Listen, I'm retired. Jimmy's retired. User retired. The fact that we can be friends and good friends. I mean, Sammy, you know, like who would ever think Sammy would consider me a friend and me consider Sammy a friend? Me and Jimmy are very close, and I would never hide that. For, I, I'm saying it to whoever's listening. So it's an admirable thing that Jimmy should hate my guts, if anything. But meanwhile, look, he's on a, a show talking about, you know, with, with, with an ex-sergeant, next two detectives, like the fact that he is forgiving of us, you know you know what I mean, is, is something. There's guys... Tommy, you know some. It's just the love that police off the cuff, real crime stories, has been spreading throughout the world on this podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> who, who, who might have hold any judgment against anybody and vice versa, you know what I mean? Jimmy redeemed himself. He's a great father. He's a good friend. And I know that for a fact. You know, loyalty means everything to me. And he knows I'm loyal to him. He's loyal to me, just like, you know, the relationship I have with Philly, you know. And uh, Jimmy's a great guy. And, and he knows there's hate is everywhere. And there's people, you know, cursing me out right now. I really, I, I don't know, you know, I really don't care what anyone thinks of me. I mean, except for my friends. And people saying things about Jimmy, and I'd be the first one to defend him any day of the week. Same thing with Sammy. I'd be the first one to defend him anything, any day of the week because what they spread is hate. And this is not what these shows are about. These shows are about just true, true crime stories, redemption. You know, people go through shit in their life. You know, I've been through a lot of shit in my life. And uh, I'm not perfect. But, uh, you know... We all, we all have, we all have our demons. We all have our stories to tell. You know. You know, Tommy. I think you explained that uh, pretty well because you know people criticized us. Oh, you guys are cops, and you had uh, Sammy the Bull on your show. And I said, well, what do you think we did when we were cops? <laughs> you know, we interviewed people that did crimes. So, what difference is it that we're doing it now? I just want to read what someone just wrote about Jimmy because it's it's sort of nice. Oh, I see that road. Jimmy Calandra has a street PhD. Also historic truth. Jimmy is saving the history of the mob and the streets. I think that's pretty it's nice. Don't you think so, Jim? Truth. Jimmy don't make up stories, you know, as he goes along. 
you know, just to make himself, I don't know, to build street creds. He don't need to prove himself to nobody anymore in the street. He just tells it like it is. He tells the true stories of what happened. And that's why his stories are so interesting. And listen to me. These stories, everybody, whether they hate, they're going to say they hate, you know, them or they, they don't. It, it's people are intrigued by them. And we as cops were intrigued by them. And we were interested in them. And who better to get a handle on it? Listen, if you were a squad commander and I worked for you, and I just told you, you know, Sammy the Bull called me and he's looking to come in, sit in the interview room and tell me everything he knows. You're going to say, I don't want to talk to him? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean oh, of course you'd say bring him in. Bring him in. Sammy taught me things that I, you know, I would never have known in a million years and so did Jimmy, you know? And how, and, and, I mean, now it's it's all over with. Now we just, that's not the only subject me and Jimmy talk about. It's not the only subject me and Sammy talk about. Tommy, let me ask you something. You and Jimmy Calandra go to a pizza joint, say Spumoni Gardens, and you order a large pie. Who's picking up the check? We'll fight over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean you'll fight over who pays it or you'll fight if one of you guys is running out the front door? <laughs> no, then Philly will be chasing me. <laughs> Listen, there's something to be said about Tommy brought this subject up because Joe Pistone has a great relationship, 20 years. Now, Joe Pistone is the real Donnie Brasco. Uh, he has a relationship with Michael Franzese over 20 years. And I saw with my own eyes when Wild Bill, Billy Cotullo, who was a boss in, in the uh, in the Columbos, when he came into the precinct under arrest with Tommy Dades, I saw, and it wasn't once, I saw it two or three times in the presence of Tommy and Bill. He had a relationship with Tommy that I could just see. They look like friends. Now, here was Tommy putting handcuffs on a guy, bringing him into the precinct, treating him like a gentleman. The, 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 the respect was mutual. He treated Tommy like a gentleman. Tommy treated him like a gentleman. And I got to say, there was a lot of guys that I met over the years before I was on the job, while I was on the job, and after I was on the job. That no, you know, they know you guys are doing your job. We're doing our thing. And now if the two things, you know, our paths cross, there's no reason to be angry and upset. You're committing a crime. We're the cops. We're the law. We're locking you up. And as long as I don't disrespect you and you don't disrespect me, and I think Tommy can can attest to that, I have no reason to be mean or, you know, treat you, treat you bad. And I was like that with anybody that I locked up. And I worked in some of the bad the worst projects in New York city. And I worked in a nice area in Bay Ridge and I treated everybody the same, so to speak. When, when I had an interaction with a person, whether it be a perpetrator or it be a complainant, sometimes complainants could get nasty with you too, the people that are reporting the crimes. But the bottom line is this, when I went into those projects and I had to go lock somebody up, they were nice to me. I'd get them something to eat. I treated, you know, they didn't give me a hard time. I wasn't giving them a hard time. I didn't give a fuck what it was that I was locking them up for, so to speak. I mean, unless they killed their mother or something like that, you know? Mike Galetta were partners for 11 years, and we dealt with every walk of life that there was. And no matter who you are, we always started off the relationship as pleasant, you know? We, we were never disrespectful to anybody, you know, that didn't deserve to be disrespected. You know, if they were, I want to hear Jimmy's take on that. Like Jimmy, when you were in the street, what did you think about the detectives and the cops? And before you even met Tommy, let's say, what was, you know, what was the general uh, feeling about the law? Well, I know the generation before me, maybe two generations before me, I would say 
someone like Samuel Bull or Carlo Gambino, maybe he would send you guys coffee and, you know, and let you know that, listen, I know you, 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 you know, this is your job. But me personally, when I was a kid, I didn't like cops at all, you know. And, uh, you know, if you spoke to a cop, you were probably going to get labeled a rat. I mean, my generation. But uh, I know the generations before me, they were more respectful towards the cops. But you got to remember something now. You know, my generation came up with guys like Roy DeMeo, a guy like Tommy Karate. Uh, John Gotti kills Paul Castellano. So the former respect for me, there ain't no respect. You know what I'm saying these guys are showing me, you know what? Wow, they call, they're killing the boss. So that respect shit is dead. I'm saying all you're doing is you're making believe you respect these guys because, in all honesty, it's all about in that life they manipulate you. You know the same thing they did to Paulie. You know, I mean, so you know it, it was a different world for me. Which Paulie are you referencing? To, uh, Paulie Galino. Galino. So, I mean, the way they took him out, his best friends, you know, knock at the door and they leave him in his kitchen floor. But, uh, yeah, I didn't like the cops. You know, we used to we used to sell weed right on Bay 23rd and Beth, right off the corner of a precinct. You know, we had a pot spot. And they would come in and they would bother us over selling pot. Today, you can't even get bothered for selling pot. So it was a different era. It was a different time. You know, and the people I grew up around, they, were, they weren't nice people. You know, guys like Georgie Conti. You know, it turned me on to cocaine. I'm doing cocaine in his house, and we're all watching every corner. Me, Polio, Georgie Adamo, Tommy Reynolds, we're on his balcony. We're all wired up, and we're all watching a corner. We're all paranoid. So these guys now that I'm, that I'm going to be 52 years old, I look back. I don't respect these guys. Now, if you go back when I was 20 years old, they got like Tommy Karate, Georgie Conti. I looked at them like, yeah, you know what? They were God. You know, but now I'm a grown man. I have kids. I would never want my kids around people like this. Good. Billy, oh. I just want you to get some of these uh, mob guys listening may need an attorney. So if you want to. Okay. <laughs> Joe Murray's in the chat today. Glad to have him back. Healthy and strong. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com, jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is, and a lot of people listening should write this down just in case, 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702, or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's it. The coffee company fired us. So uh, we just we just Joe probably got himself about twenty five clients. Oh, forget about it. He's got a line outside of his office right now. And 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 when I say he's making five fifty an hour here, I mean five hundred and fifty. I'm not meaning five dollars. No, 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 Billy, cents. Billy. After after this commercial today, he's getting seven fifty. He's probably getting seven. Now he's going to be like a mob lawyer wearing thousand dollars. that action. He's wearing Bruno Mali shoes, you know. It's like, yeah. uh, and when you don't want to pay, if you don't want to pay the hundred each for me and you, Tommy <laughs> and Jimmy, will uh, go uh, talk. They'll lump you up with an axe handle. Nah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny, but uh, it, it's so amazing doing these podcasts that the people that that you meet, and that's one of the greatest things. And I'm sure Jimmy, you feel the same way. You meet some really cool people that you might not otherwise meet uh, doing these shows. You know. What do you no, think I, about that? 
No, absolutely. I mean, look, just by meeting you guys, you know, Bill and Phil, you know, I got introduced you to Tommy. Listen, I appreciate it. You know, look, I looked up to the wrong people growing up, and now I am spending time on a podcast talking to you people. You know, you people are the heroes. You know, you guys are running into buildings when there's gunfire. I mean, the other guys, you know what? They're the bad guys. They're taking people out. They're trying to scheme on people. Look, when I was a kid, in all honesty, my mother always told me, she said, Jimmy, you can't serve two gods, meaning the God up above and the guys on the corner, you know? And I told her, I said, but Ma, who's going to pay the bills? You know, who's going to, you know, the electric goes off. Who's going to, who's going to pay it? You know? And, you know, this is how I was when I was a kid, you know? And then when I grew up, I just realized, listen, I had my back against the wall. I'm looking at a long time in prison and I come from a good family. I said, you know what? I just got to do the right thing here. Put this all behind me and just let them know what happened. Tell, tell my story. And this is what I do. I tell my story. So any knowledge I have of anything that went on in the street, these are the stories I tell. Absolutely. Uh, Joe Murray, thanks for the 1999 Super Chat. Tom, Jim, and Phil, did you know Billy Romano from Bensonhurst? Sadly, he was killed about 10 years ago. He helped me out a lot over the years. He connected me with his lawyer, Nick Gravante, when I got locked up as a cop. I know you talking, Nick, um, Nick Gravante. Is that, fami- yeah. uh, that name familiar to you, Tommy or Jimmy? No, not, no, not to me. Okay. You know, yeah, Joe, Joe Murray has the most unbelievable story. He got, he actually got locked up in uniform on duty for knocking out another de- a detective in the squad. And we broke yeah, his he jaw. And he, t- he took a pinch in uniform going down to uh, the tombs in uniform. And then, then he got out and the, there was no true bill. So they, the grand jury didn't indict him because he testified and they believed his story. But then he got sued civilly. And he had no money, so he represented himself, and he beat the case. Wow. But the de- de- the department kept going after him, so he had to vest, or else they would have they would have found something. And then he went to law school, and now he's this big mob attorney. Wow! <laughs> you, you know, you know, you know what the thing about that was? He got into something. And listen, Tommy will tell you. I'm sure you too, Bill. You get into disputes or something once in a while. It would come. I'm talking about in the, in the precinct, in the squad room, whatever. I saw Tommy turn over a desk or two in his day. I don't want to talk too much about that, but you know, listen, those are things that you, you took care of in house. He hit the guy, the guy went running and, and ran to the bosses and they locked up Joe. That's such a, in plain English, that's a pussy move in my, in my, my feeling or my, my opinion. So, but uh, whatever he, he made the best of it. He became an attorney. God bless him. He's a damn good attorney. He's a constitutionalist. He's on our show a lot. And you, you know, when you guys hear him talk, you'll hear how he knows his shit. And uh, so that that's Joe Murray's story. Now, Tommy, you never fought Joe Murray in the ring when you were a cop, right? No, no? we used to, we used to go, uh, we would, we used to train at a Starrett City boxing gym when, when I was on the team, and they would just put you in and out of the ring, like get in for three with this guy, get out for four, and you you could be going in there. There's a guy uh, I remember uh, was training for the Golden Gloves. He was a heavyweight. Tommy Kadat, great guy, and uh, he was he would come over, and they put me in the ring with him. <laughs> You get when you got hit by him, it was like getting hit in the mouth with bricks, you know. But uh, they would just keep rotating you around, and then there were the smokers that 
most of the smoke is if you run the team, usually you won against any of the cops that were just never boxed before, you know. But uh, and then when we fought for real. We fought against uh, Denver, against the fire department, against LAPD, against London, things like that, you know. But we sparred everybody inside Starrett City. You know? Hey, that's you know people don't understand. Uh... How tough it is to box. I mean, everyone thinks they can yeah, put me in there for three minutes and then they need an ambulance after three minutes of uh, <laughs> trying to stay. Just hold their hands up for three minutes, right? Those matches were funny. And I've seen a couple where guys were on the team and knew how to fight and guys would think nothing of it and want to get in the ring with them. I saw some guys get knocked out pretty bad, you know? <laughs> Hey, Tommy, uh, Joe Murray says in, in the chat, Tommy, towards the end of my career, I was partners with Johnny Doyle, two heavyweight fighters on patrol together. Did you know You know Doyle? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Tough guys. And ask him, did he remember, he remembers, of course, Ricky Frazier. Yeah, Ricky Frazier fought, uh, the, the what's his name, yeah. the middleweight uh, champion of the world. Rick, Ricky Frazier fought um, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roy, Roy Jones Jr. Roy, yeah. Roy Jones Jr. Yeah, and uh, Ricky was a tough guy. There was some real, some real tough guys in that gym. You know what I mean? They were really. Rough. I, I had I had in my anti crime. I think you know him, Joey Cintron. Yes. L little guy, but tough little guy. He was the best anti crime yeah, follow I, guy. Listen, I got there's a there's a guy named uh, a fighter named Timmy O'Neill. He was a pro fighter, so we used to spar in uh in a ringside gym where Toro Gatti fought. And uh, Timmy's brother was on the NYPD boxing team. He was 140 pounds. And I was like 225. And we were sparring up in the gym. And I swear to God, it's probably the only time I ever really went down. And this kid was a southpaw and hit me straight with a, with a straight left hand to the jaw. And I remember, all I remember is opening my eyes. I was on my behind, you know. So it don't matter how big you are. Some guys. Uh, Tommy, you know, was that when you were in Intel? Did that take place in Intel? Wait, when you Because I remember when we were in Intel together, you came in one day and Michael Edward was going. I used to come in with blood. Your age? Your age? You know? What's that? I used to come in with blood all over my thermal. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, something, something with your face was, you know, you were banged up a little bit. And I remember Michael Letter saying, "Are you fucked up doing this at your age? You got to cut this out." You were like in your forties, and you were you were having a heavyweight fight. Forty-four. I was against LAPD, and I remember they told me we got good news and bad news for you because a retired LAPD detective was supposed to come in. So I said, "Yeah, I'll fight." And when I get there, hey. Arthur McCanty Jr. was the referee. I have a picture. I still have a picture of him. And uh, he see. They said the good news is you're fighting. The bad news is the retired guy couldn't make it. You're fighting that guy over there. He was 23. He was six foot six, 265 pound southpaw. And when I got in there, Arthur McCanty Jr. asked me if they were paying me for advertisement on the bottom of my shoes. <laughs> You should have brought the axe handle into that match. That was, you know? that, was that was the last time I fought. That was if Jimmy would have been there, he would have been handing you an axe handle. That's right, for sure. You know something, guys, we're at, we're over an hour. We usually don't like to go over an hour because it just it keeps our guests too long. And also the folks listening, they get a little antsy. But, uh, folks, if you're not subscribed to Jimmy Calandra's podcast, it's, I think it's called the Bath, the Bath Avenue Crew, Jimmy. Jimmy Calandra, Bath Avenue Story. Please subscribe to Jimmy's because he's got to catch up to us. 
We, yeah, he, I gotta catch up to these guys. They're gonna burn me out. These guys. <laughs> and Jimmy, we we'd love to have you come back on again at another time if you'd absolutely, like to. Absolutely, you know, because this seemed to go so damn fast, and you know, people they love these stories, you know, and uh, you know, we'd love to have you on again as you keep growing, we'll keep growing, and folks. Again, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on the YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, give us the thumbs up. We just went over 20,000 tonight, which we're very proud of. Nice. We're going we're gonna to keep uh, busting our ass here. And as I said, uh, please subscribe to um, Jimmy Calandra, Bath Avenue Crew Podcast. It's interesting as all hell. He tells different stories. It's almost, hopefully, maybe, Jimmy, maybe you'll get, someone will see it and you'll get a movie, you know? Oh, that'd make, be great. I love, to, I love to, for that to happen. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's the some really interesting, intriguing yeah. stuff. Though we have uh, the upcoming shows. You want to uh, run through those? What we have going on Tuesday night and tomorrow night? Uh, well, tomorrow night, I just got this guy, Eric Allen, who's done documentaries on the Murdoch family murders down in South Carolina. He's a really interesting stuff. Unbelievable. And he's got his boots on the ground. And while this was really the top story in the news, I reached out to him. And he just answered me today and said, oh, uh, I, I hear you got your podcast. He goes, I'd love to come on. Wait, so he's, he's from New York? He said, oh. No, he's from South Carolina. He almost did. He almost needed an interpreter to understand my language. You know, he didn't that need, New York accent took over. New York accent. So, but he's coming on tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. And then on Tuesday night, we got Judge uh, Patty Domingo from, um, what's it called? Hot, Hot Bench. Hot, Hot Bench, Bench. TV show. And she's going to come on and we're going to talk about the Gabby Petito case because she's got the legalese. She's got the expertise coming from the bench. There's a lot of legal issues with that case. And we're going to go deep into that case is like internationally known. Uh, today, they had the services out on Long Island, Holbrook, Long Island for Gabby Petito. It's a tragic, tragic story. And it's ongoing. There's still the searches on for her, her fiance, uh, Brian Laundrie. Philly, any last words? Last words, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on. Tommy, you're my buddy. You know I love you. Uh, we had a great show today uh, talking about all the different things that we discussed. Uh, I think we got great insight from you, Jimmy. Uh, we talked a little bit about our side of it. You talked about your side of it. Uh, again, for the Petito family, condolences. To, I can't even imagine. There's never going to be closure for those people. I said that before. The only thing that's going to help them is if – uh, Brian is uh, brought to justice if he's found and thrown in uh, silver bracelets and incarcerated. Um, again, we got those two shows coming up in the next couple of days and uh, looking forward to them. Thank you to all the subscribers. We got over 20,000 today. That was great. And uh, thanks again, guys. It was great to be part of it. Tommy Dade's final words. Uh, thank all you guys uh, again for having me on. I, people must be getting bored with me. And uh <laughs> But, Jimmy, uh, great. Thank you so much for going on the show. Your story is always so interesting. Uh, I love watching your podcast. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Guys, thanks for having me. Tommy Days, I love you. I and, love you. Uh, I'll see you guys soon. Maybe one of these days we'll have Jimmy and Sammy on the same show. That would be phenomenal. But we'll that talk about that going forward. He's a pretty funny guy, Sammy. <laughs> He's got a way. Sammy's got a lot of charisma. Yes, that's a good word for it. You're right about that, Jim. Can't, can't say you don't. He definitely does. That's yeah. for sure. So on behalf of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, I'm Bill Cannon. On behalf of myself and Phil Grimaldi, everyone have a good night, and thank you so much for watching. Right. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks, everybody. I see you. Bye-bye.